This is your Week in Gaming, episode 33, recorded for the 23rd of February 2024 to bring you all the latest news from the world of gaming. On today's episode of the podcast, we talk Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Duty ranked Sniper's Band, Power World Player Drops, and a real-life Pokédex. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 33 of your week in gaming. It is the last week of February and uh, we must say apologies for last week. There was just absolute chaos that enshrouded both of our lives and it just made it a little bit impossible to to uh, to record. And uh, it even had uh, problems with this week, but we are able to record. We've made a plan and uh, we're bringing this week's episode. So uh, I'm joined this week again by my co-host Samantha. Hello. Not a guest like somebody asked you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been you know what? So I, I I like yelled at one of my friends because he hadn't yeah. listened to the podcast and he was like, all right, bet I'm gonna listen to it. And then he was like, Yeah, I like the all of these guys. And I was like, what? Did you start from episode one? He's like, Yeah, of course. I've got nothing else to do. Are you still a, a guest? And I was like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I mean you know, honestly about props a pl- to him for, for like past. Yeah, like props for him for the full support. Uh, I don't know if he continued listening to the episodes. I should go and yell at him again. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it uh, it was nice to hear that somebody went back and listened to everything and uh, brought up the blast that I was calling Samantha a guest, even though she was a co-host, which was weird. And uh... <laughs> and it became <laughs> be a fair... bit of a running joke until he eventually stopped doing it. So. Yeah, I uh, decided to stop because, you know, Sam was contributing a lot and, you know, she guilted me into it. It definitely wasn't a threaten at all whatsoever. Me, not a chance. (laughs) Well, we're apologies again for last week with not having an episode, but uh, we've got plenty of news this week. And uh, we're going to be kicking it off now with gaming news now. And if you're a big D&D fan, may we suggest that you keep your September empty? The new 2024 rulebook set for Dungeons & Dragons will be arriving in September 2024, and these releases will continue to run early into 2025. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the first publication of Dungeons & Dragons, and we're looking forward to what will be coming through in what was initially dubbed 1D&D. Along with this, Wizards of the Coast has given some details about some planned campaigns, including Vecna, Eve of Ruin, which will, which will be a mid-to-late game campaign starting at 10th level and ending at 20th level. Quest from the Infinite Staircase is also a multiversal campaign that is designed to take players from level 1 to level 13. If you're hyped, best be ready to get put those dollars aside for the new stuff. And maybe think about your DMs and gift them like the monster manual and the DM guide. Like those things are expensive. And yes. uh, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely loaded. I'm super excited though for the, uh, the Vecna Eve of Ruin. Yes. Because like a lot of Wizard of the Coast campaigns kind of just run from level one and generally end about level 10, level 11 maybe one goes to level 12. If I'm not mistaken, I think Call of the Nether Deep is one that kind of goes up to 12th level. So it's very seldom that you actually go and see a campaign that continues, you know, past there that is something that is published by Wizards. Yeah, I think this is the very first one that's going all the way up to level 20. And a lot of the reason why they don't is because level 20 breaks the game. It's one of the reasons that they, like Baldur's Gate will never go to level 20 because to... 
in like put a lot of those spells and things and abilities into the game would be damn near impossible. So that's really exciting for me. I also love the fact that it starts at 10th level because like I do, I, I run quite a few of the uh, pre-generated campaigns for D&D and they all kind of start at level one. And as you said, they only go up to whatever level. And then I'm like, okay, but I want to continue. Now I have to like think and use my brain and come up with like <laughs> cool scenarios and stuff. And like, bro, that's, that's just not me. So I'm really excited to have something that can then become a follow-up campaign to something that I'm already doing. And it's Vecna for goodness sakes. Like campaign one of critical role had me so keen for some Vecna shenanigans. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm also like, I, ha I run a home game. I think I'm just going to like pass around the hat and say, right, guys, as your DM, I need this book. So everybody, <laughs> donations, please. Thank you. This is for all of our benefit. Yeah. So uh, Sam is in a campaign that I'm actually running, uh, which is uh, Realm of the Frost Maiden, a little bit of D&D &D talk. But uh, as soon as that campaign is ending and Sam is going to be hearing this for the first time, I'm actually going to be getting this Vecna Eve of Ruin and the campaign is yes. going to then flow in flow into that um but yeah level 20 campaign gets very strong very quickly um pretty much from level like 16 already mm -hmm. things can start getting very out of hand but it's nice that they've put some uh you know they've actually compiled a book um it's 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 very detailed from what i've been able to gather and what i've been able to research so super keen and uh well, they have to see what this the the what we call one D and D. I think they've dropped that name for the. Uh, I've heard that. Yeah, they haven't like announced what it's going to be. Uh, a lot of people are calling it six E, uh, which would be incredibly boring, but also understandable. So possibly that's that's where they're going. I hope that it's something a little bit more uh, imaginative than that. But I'm I'm looking forward to the new rule. Like obviously, I've looked at some of the new rules, and some of them are awesome. I love the changes to exhaustion, for example. I think that this makes it way more fun to play. It makes it far less punishing, and it allows you to do so much more like fun and creative stuff. Uh, I love the changes to like how weapons work and like two-handed fighting and the weapon proficiencies and stuff. I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've really loved some of the changes to the classes as well. So. Yeah, uh, D and D nerds rise up, gang, gang. Uh, see you in September. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to be glued and waiting for September for all these books. Mm -hmm. Snipers, we all hate snipers. Mm -hmm. Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three hates snipers so much that they have banned the gun in ranked. Now, nice. You see, I'm of two minds of in in this particular scenario right like a lot of people will look at a sniper and go oh great he's playing point and click simulator uh, but i think that there is a certain level of skill that comes into being able to play a sniper so for that reason makes me sad but from a player perspective as someone who does not have skill uh and for consistently finds herself dead um this is a great change. So the, th the thing that I will say about Call of Duty, though, is that they take their weapon bans so far, okay? Here is a, a non-exhaustive list of guns that are banned in ranked. All snipers, all light machine guns, all battle rifles, all shotguns, all marksman rifles, all launchers, one melee weapon, which is a riot shield, Three pistols, 
two submachine guns, seven assault rifles, and every single gun that was part of Modern Warfare 2. Guys, if your game is this broken, fix the guns. Don't ban them. Like, that I mean, that is, is absurd. That is a lot of guns that are being banned. And now look, <laughs> I, un I understand the reasoning for it, but there are games like Counter-Strike that do it differently. They just balance the guns. They get tweaked every so often. No, 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 Things no, no. Like that is either... way too complicated for Activision Blizzard. <laughs> Andrew, please. Sorry, I'm, uh, you know what? You're 100% <laughs> right. I'm using logic here when it comes to them. <laughs> My mistake, you know, they're following the uh, the practical way, the most most sense way in doing this. You're right. It's it's a perfectly balanced. Do you know what? No, it's it's super for... realistic. Like there are things in real life that you can't uninvent. So you have to say, well, this is not allowed, right? So we're just we're just trying to like echo real life in this scenario. Makes total sense. Hundred percent. But no, like I I understand. I can see both sides of the argument of like, okay, well, we're going to be banning guns and things for ranked. It it, it kind of makes the the playing field for the uh, the game. Um, it, it kind of levels it out to an extent, right? Do I think it's the right way of doing it? No, I think just let the guns be there and let and just balance them if they need to be balanced. Other first-person shooters do it. Uh, if you have a look at Battlefield, Battlefield did, uh, you know, through all their iterations, they do balance changes to guns. Counter-Strike is a very good example. Valve do a very good, uh, uh, like they do... Uh, really good things when it comes to tweaking of their guns. They change the fire rates. They either change magazine sizes. Um, they might change uh, like like recoil patterns if they redo things. Like there was a stage when the uh, the M4A1S was a twenty magazine uh, gun, which was then changed to twenty five at a stage. So I I I, see, I can see both sides, but I don't personally think it's the correct way to do it. But also, I play Call of Duty purely for the campaign i go when i generally get a call of duty game i go i play the single player campaign i thoroughly enjoy it and then i uninstall the game like what a crazy <laughs> investment i mean this is why i didn't buy mk1 because i love the mk story but it's really not worth the price tag to play for like at, at a really generous estimate an hour Sorry, not an hour, three hours. <laughs> at, a, at like a really yeah. generous estimate, like three to four hours. It's it's just not worth it, man. That's crazy. To, to be fair, I only purchase them when they're on like crazy specials, like 75%, because then it gives me, okay, well, it's only like 100 bucks or 200 bucks to then play it. And it will generally be a camp is the older ones are actually fairly long. They're a good couple of hours. So like the 200 mm. bucks is, is perfect. I've got no problem with that. Uh, I probably will not be playing like this new Modern Warfare 3. It's campaign because apparently one, it's not long. And two, I'm not going to go fork out that kind of money just to play the campaign, you know? But uh, what I can give them is that Call of Duty's single, like the campaigns are sometimes what I can describe as movies that you are playing. Power World has lost 1.5 million players, but fans should not like panic about this whatsoever. This very popular open world survival game has seen a decline in its player count from 2.1 million to around half a million uh, daily concurrent players. Despite this drop, though, Power World still remains one of the most popular games on Steam and continues to be the top-selling and top-rated or top-played category. 
right? Considering this game is still early access, fans should not be concerned at all. Uh, many games go through these dips, and a game, this game has already reached like near unprecedented heights, you know? And it's still one of the most popular games around. Uh, I mean, the game is on Xbox Game Pass, and it is still not yet on PlayStation 5. And there's already talk about, you know, it going uh, over to there. There's still massive growth opportunities, so everyone can just calm down. <laughs> I saw, like, their Twitter, you know, people were talking about, and these and journalists were just taking these big headlines. Oh, massive player count for Power World or whatever. All big games go through that. Counter-Strike, PUBG had a huge spike and also then lowered down. Baldur's Gate, same thing. Massive concurrent players for a long time. It's dropped down. Um, it doesn't matter really what type of game. Even things like The Forest, Sons of the Forest, uh, Ark, when it came out. All of them had like really big spikes and all of them do drop. It's a natural way of things because a lot of players nowadays will play a game and once they feel like they are fulfilled and have enjoyed themselves they'll stop playing it but they will pick it up at a later stage especially when new content comes out that's it that that's a big one for me right so bearing in mind that this game was developed by like three kids in a basement basically um they, they don't have the mm. manpower to be pushing out content on a regular basis yeah. so i i did see that they have put up um like ads saying, you know, we're hiring, we need people, come work for us, da, da 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 So they are slowly expanding their workforce and they will eventually start pumping out that content. But yeah, I mean, most gamers suffer from, I don't know if it's ADHD or if it's just too much choice because you play a game yeah. for X amount of time, you achieve whatever it is you wanted to achieve, you feel like you've seen everything. Now you want to move on to the next game because like there are so many games. And if you're not, if you don't have that, oh, look, squirrel kind of, mentality mm -hmm. towards games you're never going to get through everything but pal world will release a, a patch and everyone's going to go oh squirrel and they're going to come back to pal world and then they're going to play that exactly. a little bit they'll play through the patch and then they'll go okay cool oh new squirrel and then off they go that's just the nature but of gamers yeah i think it's definitely the uh the the nature of gamers now especially because mm. there is so much variety. yeah definitely the modern gamer not like yeah. the og yeah. gamer that used to play pac-man <laughs> yeah maybe maybe so but i mean like for example i went and just had a look at my on my steam games now i've got like over 300 odd games on my steam besides like the 100 or whatever on epic games and there's no like oh i've got double count i've got so many games it makes it difficult there's often some nights that i'll sit by my pc i'm like i really want to play a game and then i go and have a look and it's like there's Baldur's gate 3 there's cyberpunk i haven't played the uh the phantom liberty um, there's The Last of Us that I want to play on the PC, which I've actually started playing. Then there's things like Sons of the Forest. There's Monster Hunter World, which I've been, you know, trying to do a couple of hunts and everything again with a uh, a friend of the uh, the the podcast Smurf. Um, I've got The Rooms three and four. I like puzzle games. There's all of those. I've got Alan Wake two. There's this. I'm so spoiled for choice. It sometimes makes it like I get overwhelmed. I'm like, you know what? I'm actually just not going to play any game and I end up watching Netflix or something. A potential remaster of the cult Discworld games. If you're unfamiliar with Discworld, that's the whole uh, Terry Pratchett world. A phenomenal series of books. So uh, definitely check that out if you haven't yet. So potential remaster of the Discworld games is on hold owing to a license that involves. The British monarchy. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. The British monarchy. <laughs> oh, King Phil. 
is part of the reason why we may never see a remake of these games. Let me explain. So, the games were developed by Perfect Entertainment, right? There were three point-and-click adventure games released between 95 and 99 across uh, PC, PlayStation, and Sega, all right? Mm -hmm. The IP, or rather the franchise, fell into dormancy after the release of the third game, and the IP went missing when the publisher was closed by Sony in 2012. Now, obviously, there's a rekindling of interest in Pratchett's world. We've got things like Good Omens that have come out uh, on Prime that people are really, really enjoying. So now, you know, there's a lot of hype around Pratchett. So the original designer of the video games is aware of the trend and is keen, or the, the trend of remastering old games, and is keen to show his adventures to a new audience. Greg Barnett, who headed up development at Perfect Entertainment, recently discussed the possibility of adding the Discworld series to the growing list of remasters being released for newer audiences. And in a recent interview, he confirmed that he owns 50% of the rights to the game as their original creator. Perfect Entertainment held the IP license when it ceased operations. The remaining 50% reverted to the British monarchy under a law known as Bona Vacantia. This law mm -hmm. means that any intellectual property deemed quote-unquote ownerless will revert to the British crown, which is headed up by King Charles. My apologies, not King Philip, King Charles. As if I care about the British monarch. I, could, I, I, I know there's a Philip yeah, there I, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody is Philip, all right? Anyway, point being, point being, so because the company closed down and the mm -hmm. company owned 50% as an entity, it then became ownerless after closure and is now owned by the British monarch. So <laughs> I don't know how you jump through. I don't know if you send old Charles, Charles a letter and say, hey, buddy, uh, you know the 50% of those shares? <laughs> like, I, I don't know please. how you get through this. <laughs> Uh, you have to write a. I think you have to write a letter to Santa at this point because I'm not too sure that they're going to get much done there. You know, old Charles has got his own uh, his own stuff on at the moment. What with being ill and and having a crazy son and daughter in law, um, you, you just got to play it. So I don't know if the Discworld series is like high up on the priority list. Uh, but oh, I threw no. this in because the absurdity of it was just it it was just too much to ignore. Yeah, it's. I mean, laws like that is wild, you know, <laughs> that the British, the British monarchy is going to probably be the reason that we're not going to see a remake of this game. I mean, I've never even, until the, you blinked the story, I'd never heard of Discworld at all. So it's like, it's crazy to think that uh, potential people like myself and probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of others are never going to see the game because the British monarchy are going to hold it. Uh, look, maybe by some chance there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel where people will say, don't worry, we've got you sorted. We'll, you know, we'll give you the rights to publish and work out some other agreement in terms of revenue split or profit splits or whatever the case is. But uh, man, ownerless stuff just going and being owned by somebody just doesn't feel right by me. <laughs> so crazy. And like, so uh, Rihanna Pratchett, uh, so clearly a descendant of old Terry. Um, she's the co-director of uh, Narrativia Limited, holds all the multimedia uh, multimedia rights to the Pratchett estate. She's been trying to track down the IP. Um, and she believes that the property should be with Sony because Sony was the parent company 
when um, stenosis or whatever, when they close their doors. So she believes it should be there. So anyway, this is still like currently under investigation and whatever, whatever. But uh, yeah, there's a good chance we may never see these uh, these old classics remastered. I hope that they do figure it out though, because uh, as a big fan of the Pratchett, uh, you know, universe, I have mm-hmm. a board game. I don't know if you've heard of the Discworld board game. I so, didn't hear about Discworld until I saw the link for the first time when you put oh, it into our notes. Shocking. So okay, I, I, <laughs> just read a Discworld book. Just just read a book, okay? okay? Not like Good Omens or whatever, like specifically one of the Discworld books. Terry Pratchett's Sense of Humor. Trust me, you will love it. Anyway, so there is a board game based on the Discworld universe called Discworld. I bought this book about 10 years ago when I was still living in Bloemfontein. It is now no longer in production. You cannot buy it anymore. I played it with my brother a few weeks back and he was like, ooh, we want to buy a copy for you know his wife's dad. So they go and they look for it on eBay. Do you know what that book is or what that board game is currently selling for secondhand? No clue. Approximately 15,000 Rand. <sighs> And I own one. So if I'm ever in some serious trouble, I have an asset. Who would have thought a board game would become an asset? Oh, I mean, I was looking at some second pri- or secondhand prices for uh, some board games because trying to find a brand new Game of Thrones board game ha. is almost ex- like impossible in South Africa at the moment. But I can find secondhand and they are retailing for basically what the uh, the price of a brand new one goes for, which kind of hurts a little bit. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it sucks that something like this is not going to be seen potentially by some people. But uh, at least we all know that Sam has got a asset. It might not be as liquid as she would like, but uh, she can at least have fun with it. And then when she needs, when she feels like she's in a pinch, she's at least got fifteen clip, fifteen South African fifteen thousand South African rons at least. So. This week, we don't have a promising playable or a soon-to-be success because we are slacking, but that's okay. We'll be back better next week. So we're going to jump into our special mentions, which we have as always. Starting with Jazzwares, parent company of Squishmallows, is suing Build-A-Bear for copyright infringement in their new Scooshers plushie line. So essentially, Build-A-Bear is creating a like squishy like line of plushies. And the parent company of Squishmallows is saying, "Uh uh-uh, that is copyright infringement. They assert that the rounder, squishier design of this new line is a knockoff of their own Squishmallow line. Build-A-Bear has filed legal action against Jazzwares in response, asking for a declaration that the Squishers toys do not, in fact, infringe upon Squishmallows. Everybody is getting sued. I did not have that on my 2024 bingo card, I'll be honest. No, neither did I, to be honest. (laughs) The latest update for the finals includes bug fixes, balance changes, and a Valentine's Day event with new rewards. The Valentine's Day event adds uh, new contracts to complete, which unlocks six new and equipable cosmetic items. The update addresses community feedback by adding quality of life uh, enhancements and fixing the popular nukes and snooks physics issue. Unfortunately, I think this event might be over by the time uh, this podcast has come up. But if not, you know, try and go and grab the stuff whilst you can. Quality of life changes are there, including, well, yeah, the quality of life changes there. So that's something at least. Uh, Rise of the Ronin, an action RPG set in Japan, has been cancelled in South Korea 
due to controversies surrounding a comment made by the game's director. The controversy stems from the inclusion of the Soka Sunjuku school and positive remarks about its controversial founder, which led Korean players to perceive support for Imperial Japan and its occupation of Korea. Bruh. (laughs) (sighs) Epic bruh (laughs) moment. Bruh. Just you know that sound effect that some people have mm-hmm. on their soundboard. That's the only thing that I just heard when you said that was because I, bro, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the combat trailer for Silent Hill Two Remake has received criticism from for stiff animations, lack of weapon impact, and plinky sound effects. Blooper Team President clarified that Konami is responsible for the marketing and trailer, which does not reflect the spirit of the game. Despite the negative response, the president expressed confidence that gamers will have a different reaction to real gameplay. I certainly hope so, because I went and watched the trailer, and it was very... Uh... Do you know what? Like, as much as you can come out and be like, oh, no, no, uh, we weren't responsible for this trailer... Like, is there not quality control? Do do you do they do you not get to watch this beforehand and go, excuse me, this is terrible. Please redo mm. this. Crazy. <laughs> um, The Sims 4 has added Vitiligo to the game. Now, for those that don't know what that is, it's that skin pigmentation issue that you have. And so you get these like kind of splotches of different colored skin. Um, mm-hmm. so they've added this to the game for your character creation, making it more inclusive and allowing players to represent their real appearance in their characters. The Vitiligo feature is purely physical and will not affect gameplay, giving players the option to modify it at any time. And this is just another step that The Sims 4 has taken on their drive for inclusivity. I think this might be one of the most inclusive games ever made. You can give your Sims, like, hearing aids, right? Like, that is to the the level. I'm just waiting for the day you can make a Sim in a wheelchair. Because I feel like that's where we're going. They they are literally making it so accessible for literally anyone to play and making it so relatable for anyone to get into. And I love that. Stellar Blade has received an 18 plus rating in Korea due to suggestive costumes and excessive violence. The game's protagonist, Eve, was designed to have an attractive body for players to admire, with special attention given to her backside. In addition to costumes, players will also be able to collect accessories for Eve and costumes for the game's other characters, Adam and Lily. Nice. I love that they're so open about it. Like, yeah, we, we made this character sexy. That, that was the point. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Thank you for just being open and telling like, us about it. You've made me interested in the game. Okay. But also, like, why is it always Korea? <laughs> Hearthstone is celebrating its 10-year anniversary with an event that includes free cards and cosmetics, as well as a collaboration event with World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft players can participate in the Hearthstone event and earn special rewards, including the Fiery Hearthsteed Mount. Hearthstone has big plans for the year, including a core set upgrade and three new expansions, despite discontinuing the duels game mode. I have the blue Hearthstone Mount, and I feel like I, I need to get the Fiery one now, because... It, it exists. So that just sounds like you are one of those that wants every single mount ever possibly own ownable. I wish obtainable. <laughs> oh, they they have started putting like some of the TCG mounts and pets that you can get through like Twitch Prime. So I've been yeah. like collecting those. Hell yeah, I'm not paying all thousands and thousands the, for those all the time. I don't even play the game anymore. La, 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 la. 
Battlestate Games plans to introduce microtransactions in Escape from Tarkov with the upcoming patch, allowing players to purchase extra stash lines and access to the uh, the practice co-op mode. The 0.14.1.0 update <laughs> also brings critical fixes to improve gameplay stability and immersion, including adjustments to visuals, geometry, aiming lines, aiming line shifting, camera sway, vaulting bugs, damaging consistencies, and player animations. The addition of microtransactions raises concerns about uh, creating a pay-to-win environment and may be met with mixed emotions for, or mixed reactions, at least, from players who appreciate the opportunity to enhance their inventory space but are wary of changes, or of changes to the game's hardcore survival mechanics. Agreed. My biggest takeaway from that is that we're still not on patch one. It's still not patch one. What is <laughs> taking you so long? You're on 0.14 and you're okay. introducing microtransactions. That, see, this is the thing, right? Like that's why they haven't launched the game yet because they're still feeling stuff out. Like I, I see this going one of two ways. Either the backlash is so severe that they scrap it entirely or the game basically goes pay to win. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those two, unfortunately. Baldur's Gate 3 has recently received a 20 gigabyte update. Not DLC, not expansion, update, uh, including improvements to kissing animations and new camp idol animations. 20 gigabytes, guys. <laughs> the update also introduces new legendary actions in honor mode, adding more challenge to the game. Fans can expect plenty of bug fixes, apparently 20 gigabytes of bug fixes, apparently, uh, in this patch, although specific details at the time of recording had not been revealed. But obviously the uh, the patch is live, so you can go and check out the 20 gigabytes worth of kissing animation and bug fix. Yeah, it is extensive. But also, please be careful because there are some spoilers in the patch notes. So if you haven't finished the game yet, worry about scrolling through them. Just be careful, especially like Act 3 stuff. After months of effort and legal wrangling, the long-awaited acquisition of Activist by Microsoft could see itself reversed in the near future. In the wake of mass layoffs, the FTC has lodged complaints that Microsoft assured that such workforce cutbacks would not be needed if the deal was approved. Microsoft has rebutted saying Activision ABK was already planning major cutbacks, although the exact extent of the original plan is unknown prior to the acquisition, but they have stated that they are still willing to reverse the acquisition if required. It is crazy. That would it's be nuts. Sad, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Can you, can you just imagine if after all that time and effort, they have to reverse the deal? That is nuts. I, I, I don't know if Activision survives that. I don't know either. We'll have to wait and see. Indeed. Ubisoft's latest pirate-like, th this is a new term, we have Souls-like, now we have pirate-like, uh, Skull and Bones, has been met with much criticism from beta testers, citing boredom, laugh, uh, lack of expected features, and poor dialogue writing. Despite this, Ubi CEO Ives Guimau has defended its $70 price tag, calling it a quadruple-A game. Okay, Ubi. Okay. <sighs> Ubisoft doing Ubisoft things, really. I will say that, like, I haven't actually played the game, and I know that I have some friends, shout out Erica, who, our, our video editor, who have been enjoying it for, like, just for what it is. 
Um, but obviously the more hypercritical people quadruple A game, okay. Crazy to even name it that. Epic Party Quest offers a fresh spin on Mario Party-inspired gameplay, combining RPG elements and pixel art visuals for a nostalgic yet immersive experience. The game supports local multiplayer for up to four players and even allows mobile devices as controllers, making it accessible and enjoyable for groups. As part of Steam's Remote Play Together Fest, Epic Party Quest is currently 20% off, showcasing its cooperative gameplay alongside other popular PvP and co-op titles. And finally, Apex Legends Season 20 introduces performance mode for current-gen consoles, allowing players to play at 120 hertz. Aim assist on consoles will be adjusted in performance mode to account for the differences in tick rates, potentially lowering its strength. Players are currently unhappy with the performance on current-gen consoles, calling the visual experience disappointing and citing lower resolution in performance mode, affecting their ability to spot opponents in the distance. At least they're finally able to see what more than 60 FPS is like. Listen, the thing that most <laughs> excites me is like lowering the, the uh, impact of controller players because that has been a point of contention in the Apex Legends scene literally since day one. Oh, yeah. And in this week's news that nobody cares about, ever wanted to know what it's like to own a Pokédex? Sam? I mean, I play Pokemon and Pal World, so I... Psh. I'm talking about a real-life Pokedex. I have an app on my phone that tracks my books. <laughs> but it's kind of the same. Okay. <laughs> but it's not a Pokedex. <laughs> well, okay. if you ever wanted to know, uh, thanks to Abe's Project's uh, latest creation, you can now own a 3D-printed one. Right, with the power of AI and ChatGPT, the Pokédex can be trained to identify images and figurines of Pokémon and relay information about them using text-to-speech. It's crazy, right? Abe wanted this Pokédex to sound as much like the original as possible. That PlayHT had uh, that PlayHT has been used to clone the voice from the Pokémon anime series uh, for the uh, the voiceover or the text-to-speech uh, feature. However, it's not perfect, but it's very, very close. Um, if you want to find out more, go check out Apes Project's YouTube channel. I went and actually watched a video of it. It is crazy. The, the 3D printed device, obviously, it's got like, a, you know, the, the whole manufacturing of it, they don't quite show you. But through camera and everything, like in the little screen, you can take pictures of like Pokemon or from screens, from figurines, and it returns information about the Pokemon to you. It's wild. We've gone really complicated in our pursuit of a Pokedex. I feel like this could have been made. And I'm kind of surprised that the market hasn't been tapped on this yet. Because why wouldn't you want to own a Pokedex? Exactly. Why would you not want to own a Pokedex? <laughs> like, I'll be honest, like I have no interest in owning a Pokedex. But Pokemon <laughs> nerds, yeah, for sure. I remember going, you're like, well, growing up and watching the Pokemon series, you know, like on TV, like straight after school and stuff. And I always thought, like, man, I wish Pokemon was real. And, man, I wish I had a Pokedex. Now, at the age of 30, I could potentially own one if I'm willing to pay the price and stuff. But, like, I don't own any, like, Pokemon figurines or anything like that, unfortunately. So I don't think I would get as much joy out of it. But, I mean, like, if you do or, like, you're watching a series or whatever, or maybe you're playing a game, you don't quite know. Like, bam, Pokedex done. There we go. You know the details about a Pokemon. That's cool. That's cool. 
<laughs> and Ke- for those people that aren't able to actually see, Sam has been laughing at me through all of this because I'm like a little child wanting a Pokedex. Truly, truly <laughs> an absolute nerd child. But you know what? We're all nerd childs about something, so fair enough. Exactly. So if you want to find out more about this uh, this this little Pokedex, go check out uh, Abe's creation or Abe's projects at least on YouTube. You can go and see it and uh, it, maybe pick yourself up a uh, an actual real-life Pokedex if you really want one. Well, that about rounds up about user gaming this week. Thank you so much for listening to episode 33 of Your Week in Gaming. And uh, you can find us on socials at YWIG Podcast and by email at yourweekingamingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Andrew, and you can find me at my name is Pengu. I'm Sam. You can find me at Nari Mizuki. Our next episode will be out on Friday, the 1st of March 2020. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're entering the last month of Q1 for the year, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about. Uh, the episode will be out at 7 a.m. GMT plus 2 and across all major podcast platforms. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.